This is the Let's Go Win Podcast with your host, J.M. Ryerson. What is happening, you guys? Welcome back to the Let's Go Win Podcast, where we are here to help you be happy, healthy, wealthy, and get better every single day. I had the pleasure of being on this young lady's podcast actually yesterday, and we're doing a podcast swap, but this is going to be awesome. She's got dynamic energy. She's awesome. You're going to love it. Jen Drummond is a mom of seven, successful business owner, and world record holder. As the first woman to climb the second highest summits on each of the seven continents, she now spends her time inspiring others to create a thriving business and lasting legacy of their own. She shares her story and strategies for success through her book, Quit Proof, Seven Strategies to Build Resilience and Achieve Your Life Goals, and her Seek Your Summit podcast, programs, and signature talks. Jen, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm blessed to have you. I'm honored to have you. Um, as I mentioned, we had a great conversation, so I know this is going to be awesome. I want to start with, uh, how climbing, was this something that you just, you always did as a kid or how did you get into having a world record? Because not a lot of people can say that. Right, right. No, I did not climb my entire life. In fact, I never went on a big hike until I was in my late thirties. Um, so this was all new. I moved to park city, Utah in 2015 and lived in the mountains, fell in love with the mountains. When I moved here, I met somebody that had guided people in the grand Teton and Jackson hole. So I went and did the grand with them and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is the most amazing experience ever. I absolutely loved it. And like, then I was incorporated into the community. So I didn't have a lot of time I'm like, okay, when I get time again, I'm going to get into mountaineering more. But right now, my kids are pretty demanding. Um, so it was on the back of my mind. I did a little bit in the grand, but that's about it. So you brought up not a lot of time. Seven. I mean, yes. look, it's a basketball team plus two sitting on the bench. Like, cheerleaders. Yeah, you don't have team. any. <laughs> yes. You don't have any time. This is crazy. But yet you're able to do a business you're able to go climb these mountains which by the way the tetons are my favorite mountain range in the world and i'm a montana saying that i'm just put it out there but yeah how in the world did you accomplish all of these things with seven kids at home i know most people can't even parent seven kids you're doing this and breaking world records i what's the secret yeah 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 so one the business i had grown and I had hired myself out of a day-to-day job. So that like I'm checking in on the business, I'm looking over numbers, I'm having conversations, but it is not taking up day-to-day bandwidth for the most part. So we need to disclose that. Um, the kids are a lot. <laughs> There's just no way around it. Okay, I'll be honest. Like they're still a lot. They were a lot. There actually was the sweet spot of a time where. They weren't as needy. I find that newborns and toddlers are needy. Elementary seems to be okay. And then all of a sudden these teens, needy, needy teens. (laughs) So I had like, I got into this like kind of at the perfect timing because when I just summited my last mountain, said, oh, I'm so glad this is done because now I'm, I'm getting my fourth teenager. I have a driver. There's just no doesn't mean no. 
Like no means a 30 minute explanation as to why it's no, so that they have the foundation to maybe make that decision for themselves without the explanation. I'm sure anybody who has teenagers understands that entirely. Um, I got into a car wreck. I mean, I'm going to bring the car wreck up because I would say that was the line in the sand. So before the car wreck, I had sold myself on the concept that, okay, when my kids are launched and into college, I'm going to get back to me. Right now, this is just my like lot in life. We're going to make the best of it. That car wreck happened. And I realized, man, I could die at any time. Like I do not get to choose when I die, but I sure get to choose how I live. And I thought about it for a little bit from a different perspective. Like if my kids were looking at me and saying, okay, my mom's an example of what a mom is. I don't know if they'd want to be a mom. If I had to be really honest, like I was running from one thing to the next, just checking off boxes, doing my to-do list. And I wasn't really doing things that like lit me up and made me glow from the inside out. And I can say that because when the car accident happened, I realized I need to demonstrate to them what it's like to live an inspired life. And to live an inspired life, we have to do inspiring things. And so the car accident happened at the end of 2018. 2019 became this big year of reflection. I didn't even know what my favorite food was, what my favorite color was. Like I had just kind of lost all of that because. I would eat whatever chicken nuggets or whatever was left on somebody's plate. I would do, I just put myself in the back seat. And so after the accident, I started figuring out who I was in 2019. I was turning 40 in 2020. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to climb a mountain for my 40th birthday. I'm going to launch this decade with like this new way of being and a big mountain's going to signify how important my 40s are going to be. I had a talk with my kids. I said, hey, guys, mom's going to try to do this thing where she's doing her passions and you. This is new to us. Mom's put a lot of her stuff on the back burner, and I don't think that's healthy for any of us. So we're going to have to have conversations about how this is working, if it's not working or what's happening, because it's new. And communication is just going to tell us, and trial and error is going to help us figure it out as we go. And it's going to get wobbly. Well. I asked friends in the mountaineering community, if you could climb one mountain in the whole world, what mountain would it be? And the general consensus was Ama de Blom. Telling you, if you like the Grand Tetons and you want to climb one mountain in the whole world, Ama de Blom is your mountain. It's located in the Himalayas. It's still my favorite climb that I've done. It's located in the Himalayas. It's the Paramount Pictures logo. Um, it is. It stands for the mother's necklace. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I'm going to climb this one. That all of it checks the boxes. Well, 2020 happens and it's COVID. So now I'm a homeschool teacher to seven children and no one's going anywhere and I'm not climbing any mountain. And one of my kids is struggling with his math homework and I'm trying to give him the proverbial pep talk. Come on, buddy. We do hard things. We've got this. And he looks at me and he goes, if we do hard things, why are you climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde instead of a real mountain like Mount Everest? I'm like, I'm a de blom, not I'm a dumb blonde, sweetheart. Finish your homework. Um, that's freaking hilarious, by the way. That's awesome, and right? It's it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I know. I gotta love them. No, it's uh, it's it's fantastic. I have so many questions, but that just that tickled my funny bone. Um, 
talk to me about the car accident because obviously this wasn't just any everyday fender bender because right. you had a life-changing moment an epiphany is what it sounds like to me where you're like look i'm not truly living for me i'm mm-hmm. being a good mom i'm sure but am mm-hmm. i setting an example of something that my my son or daughter would be proud of and when you looked in the mirror it didn't sound like that's what was reflected back talk to me about how was this car accident why was it so profound was it near death is that the idea i mean because this perspective i i chase and you and i talked about uh, on your show like losing my dad that gave me a level of perspective i couldn't ever buy and i'm so grateful for it but it took a traumatic event to really get there so is that what it was for you yeah so i i was driving on the highway home and the reservoir to the side caught my attention and I just remember, like, I was having a conversation with the reservoir, right? I'm like, oh, I wonder if we're going to get enough snow. I wonder if we're going to get out of this drought naturally. I wonder when the reservoir is going to freeze over. All your your mind's just thinking of that. Then my attention got pulled back to the highway. And I realized I was coming up really fast on a semi truck that was pulling a trailer. And it was going up a hill. So the semi was going under the speed limit. I'm sure I was going at or probably a little bit above the speed limit, knowing me. And I looked in my rearview mirror and I could get into the faster lane. So I go over to the faster lane, but I didn't make it. The trailer of the semi kind of bumped out a little bit too, they think. And so it hit my passenger headlamp. And I remember that I watched it hit. And I remember saying to like negotiating with death, which I think all of us do when we're in these circumstances, like, okay, I'll do something worthwhile. Like, please don't take my life. And I didn't think like at that moment, I didn't think I was going to die, but I remember holding onto the steering wheel and keeping my head against the headrest and telling myself only calm people that roll with the car don't have injuries. So you need to stay calm. And so I remember saying, okay, I'm going to, and I'm flipping somersaults. So I'm going end over end. And the first flip, I remember saying to myself, I have enough momentum. I'm going to do another flip. So we're going to do one more flip. I had enough momentum. We're going to do another flip. And then I'm like, the momentum's shifting. Now I'm going to start doing these sideways rolls. So I started doing these sideways rolls and ended up in the median. Mm -hmm. And so there I am sitting, holding on to the steering wheel still, like just doing my thing, thinking now I'm going to really get hit because Hollywood's trained us for that next car to come and crack us. Instead, some human came and started pulling down the windshield and was yelling at me. It took me a few minutes to like register the sounds that were coming in. He's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I looked at his face and I'm like, based on your face, I'm not okay. And I was too afraid to look. So I closed my eyes and I remember wiggling my fingers and toes. And then I said out loud, I can feel my fingers and toes. I can feel my fingers and toes. I'm okay. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're going to be fine, but we have to keep you there until the ambulance comes. So the ambulance came, they took me to the hospital. They cleared me a few hours later. I went home. I did end up having to go to the hospital a few weeks later because actually the seatbelt had cut my breast implant. Um, And we didn't know that right away because I have the gummy bear type versus the saline. So it doesn't give you a flat tire per se. And um, I just remember then I got a call from the police station and they said, hey, we just want to let you know, we rebuilt this accident 50 different times. We cannot build a scenario where you live, let alone where you walk away without any injuries. 
I'm like, oh, I got an injury, but here's the deal. I got a new lease on life, a new car and new boobs. What more can a girl ask for? (laughs) It truly is remarkable though, because obviously you do come away somewhat unscathed with this new lease on life. And yet how, how does that happen? Right? Is it, is it God? Is it, you know, the universe? Like what happened to allow this? But my favorite part about it is you're saying, look, I'm going to springboard off this. I'm going to utilize this to my advantage. Not what was me like, holy cow, it's time for me to embrace everything. It's it's just remarkable. And I, I say this so much because I see so many of my female clients that do what you were doing early, where they take care of everyone else and not Mm -hmm. themselves. And it's probably one of the biggest lessons I teach. I'm like, look, what are you doing for you? Um, So it's, I'm so happy that you had this experience. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. Like, because what do you, I mean, I would get massages before because I was training or whatever. And I would be on the massage table, like berating myself. I shouldn't be here. I need to get other things done. Here's my to-do list, da, 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 da. That finally one day my massage therapist said, listen, if you're not going to take this time to recharge and actually let this massage do more than just the physical benefit, you're wasting everybody's time. And I was like, well, I mean, I got to the point where I was like on my phone during my massage so that I could take care of things. And it just, I mean, it, it isn't something that happens overnight. It's something that just like crowd creeps onto us. And all of a sudden you look and you're like, wait a minute, who am I? What am I doing? Why are these decisions coming out like this? And the car wreck, which I think like COVID for a lot of us was a wake up call. Is this how I want to live? Is this where I want to drive? Is this what I want my day to look like? And so we get these wake up calls and it's then what do we do with them? Do we go back to the way that we were? Or do we say, hey, this is my line in the sand, which is a story that you write that you choose, and I'm going to choose different from this point forward. And that's like your check-in. Here's where I was. Here's, I don't want to go back there. Okay. I did things that are not going to let me go back there. Okay. I did things that are not going to let me go back there. And you build momentum in a different direction. Well, one thing that strikes me about you is you're very intentional, or at least after the car wreck, you're certainly like, this is what I'm going to do for my 40th birthday. I'm going to go climb. (laughs) Now I just have it stuck in my head. The, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Dublon. I'm a Dublon mountain. Yes, you can call it the I'm a Dublon mountain. <laughs> so you have this intention of this is why I'm going to do this. And one of the questions I had earlier in my head, you you were very intentional about. Look, I hired my way out of a job. I literally empowered and delegated myself out of the day to day. I should say I own a business, yeah. but it's not reliant on me. Is that something that you've naturally just done or because the intention, the intentionality is where I think you're really grabbing life by the horns and you're like, look, I'm going to go live life to the the most when I'm super intentional. And I see people like you on the massage on their cell phones doing three different other things where it's like, why did you go get a massage to begin with? As your uh, massage therapist said, so I, I guess is this something that comes to you naturally or is it just constant like, Hey, Jen, let's check in. Why are we doing these things? Yeah. You know, I'll be honest. I don't think it was always naturally. I think some of us are maybe more inclined to certain ways than other ways, but I would say a lot of it came back to like experiences, right? Our pain becomes our purpose. So anybody that's going through pain, 
if you haven't found the purpose of it yet, like it will show up. You're just still in the mountain. You haven't reached the summit of that particular thing. I did an internship in college and that internship was staffing temporary labor on a furniture line and they could not produce enough office chairs fast enough. So we were begging these people to come in to work weekends, extra long days, blah, 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 like 200 of them. And then all of a sudden Y2K happens. And then we have to let go 200 of these temporary labor people. And I have no clue to this day why I didn't just quit. I'm like, why wouldn't I just quit and said, see you later. That's your problem, not mine. I sat there and helped let go 200 people that were crying and sad. And how did this happen? And I gave you all these days and I miss birthdays and church services and all this stuff. And that had such a profound impact on me of, oh my goodness, I'll never be able to work for somebody because I'll never be able to put a hundred percent into something knowing that my fate is in somebody else's hands. And then it also like in college, I had a course because I had a friend graduate a year ahead of me. He told me I was expensive. I should get into financial services. And so he's like, I got a job at this place. They'll hire you. So I remember going to my college counselor. I'm like, okay, I got a job. How do we get out of this place early? And so he's like, well, here's a course you need to take. And here's some other ones you can take over the summer. Then you'll graduate in three years. I'm like, okay, fine. And one of the courses was healing, dying, and thriving. And I would have never signed up for this course, but it ended up being my favorite college course. And in it, we studied hospice people. Mm. So we would meet with, like, we partnered up with hospice. We'd interview these people that were going to pass away. And more often than not, like everybody kept telling me, just be you, honey. I wish if I could go back, I would shut out the noise of everybody else and just listen to myself because I had so much that I didn't experience because I was afraid of others' opinions. And that like moment came back to me in the car wreck and being like, wait a minute, I am so absorbed in all the other people's opinions that I don't even know what my opinion is anymore. And I remember thinking, you know, when you get into finance, you run numbers all the time. You look at budgets all the time for people. And one of the best things about that career was on a quarterly basis, I was looking at things like, what am I spending my time on? That's a $25 an hour job. What can I delegate out? What can I delegate out? Where do I want to be? And I have to get rid of $25 an hour jobs on my platform to be able to do $100 an hour jobs or whatever that number is for you. And so I think it's these combinations of experiences that you have in life that you start pulling little pieces from, and then you start building it together. And I, I was told that the dream situation for a female is to be a stay-at-home mom. So I have this business because I'm not going to be able to work for somebody based on an experience I had. Now I'm like, okay, well, what do I need to do to position myself to have the dream job of being a stay-at-home mom? The problem was, is I got to myself into that position and then all of a sudden I was there and there are people that slay it at stay-at-home mom jobs, right? I mean, they are the Pinterest moms that have the matching sweaters and socks and have holiday things out of the wazoo. I showed up at a Thanksgiving party. And I was like, oh, wow, this is not my crowd. Like, I love your sweater. I will never buy a sweater like that. That is so cute on you, <laughs> right? Well, I have to ask because Quit Proof is the name of your book. Yes. And 
you mentioned like, why didn't I just quit? And this, this term is, it's such a big word for me because I told you yesterday, look, I don't quit. That's the only reason I think I've succeeded at most of my stuff is I just don't know how to quit. However, I, this word is, is fascinating because what you're talking about is look, I need to quit certain things that aren't serving me and I need to continue and there's, you know, commit to whatever is serving me. So talk to me about why quit proof the name specifically, because I'm, I'm a huge fan. I talk about this stuff often, you know, grit and perseverance and, and resiliency. I think it is so much of why people are successful or not successful. Um, but why is that word? Why was it so important that you literally put it in the title of your book? I think things choose us. <laughs> so if you write a book about resilience, persistence, or being quit proof, like you're going to finish the book. And I don't know if I would have finished the book had it been titled something else because it was such a different challenge than I was used to. And every single time I wanted to hang up my coat and say, just kidding. I'm like, the book's called Quit Proof. Like, this is part of the journey. This is part of the process. I can't quit on this book. And at the same time, um, I think I had enough experiences in my own life that if I just stuck with something longer, like the magic occurred. And one of them particularly is having children. I couldn't, I mean, I, like, we tried to have babies. I could not have babies naturally. I have no idea. It was super frustrating and guilty and shaming and all that stuff because women are born able to have babies. And here it's like the one thing I'm naturally able to do. And I wasn't, I went to fertility clinics and had assistance. And for a long time, it didn't work. So anybody who's been on that journey, they understand how emotional that piece is because you're reminded every single month of how many that you failed again, that you failed again, that you failed again. And then finally, like finally, the stars aligned, Mercury moved to Venus. I don't know all that astrology stuff, but something happened. And they formulated a chemical cocktail that turned me into a hen. And all of a sudden, I went from zero eggs to 28 eggs. The 28 eggs became 14 embryos. They thought I'd get three or four kids. I ended up getting seven. And it was one of those things where it's been such a gift that I never intended, that I never knew I was going to be, that I never whatever, but it's because I didn't quit on the process and I couldn't be more grateful. So you have one of those stories on speed dial in your brain, like you'll persevere through a lot. Yeah. And I want to get into the strategies, but you also brought up the hospice care because I think, again, going back to perspective, when somebody says to you, look, be your authentic self, it, you know, one of my favorite books is, it, is the top five regrets of the dying. That sounds super morbid, but it's one of those books where you're like, wow, this is real tangible advice from people that are about to pass saying, hey, go live to go play out full out. Don't play small. And you hear it from people because they can't do it. They're trying to pass this wisdom on. What an amazing experience to have at such a young age. Um, talk to me about these seven strategies, and maybe they were shaped from that experience or all the experiences that you've had. But what are the seven strategies to be quit proof so that we can achieve our life goals? Yeah, I mean, there's so I mean, there's seven of them, right? So 
It depends. Let's get into a couple of them and we'll leave a couple of them mysterious just for the people to buy the book. But one of them is like big mountains take big teams. Okay. So I think a lot of us think that we want to achieve these big things. Well, if the bigger the thing is that you want to achieve, the more you have to rally the support and the community behind you to make that happen. Um, And so to become resilient and to become quit proof, you have to build your team. You have to build your fan base. You have to build your supporters. When I, so when we were talking earlier, my son challenged me to Everest. When he was done with his homework, we looked at Everest. And by the end of the week, I had a coach hired to train me for Everest and Ama de Blom. Because I'm like, if that's his thing, if Everest is the end all be all, we actually use that term in our household. What's your Everest? then I know that's their biggest thing that they're dealing with. And so whatever, it might not seem big to me, but that's big to them. So that's language in our house of how do I help you? What do we need to do? What is your Everest? And when I went to climb Everest, I was like, again, I had a whole bunch of doubts and this is selfish and what am I doing and how dare you? Like, I'm gonna leave these kids for this long. I've never been away from home. Like all the stories that look the same with a little bit of different outfit on, depending on what your mountain is, And so I went to the school and I told the teachers like, hey, I'm going to be gone for three or four weeks. I'm climbing Everest. I've never been gone like this before. Grandma's coming. The nanny's there, whatever. Can you just have a little bit of extra grace on my kids? And the school upped it. And they said, listen, why don't you come in, teach the kids about goal setting. We'll decorate the hallways with little hikers. They'll have little flags on them. Everybody will write what their goal is. Then they put a huge mountain in the front of the school. They had a little hiker that was me and I had a tracking device. So then the school moved me up and down the mountain. On Everest these days, you have Wi-Fi at base camp. So I did Zoom calls into the classrooms to ask the kids, like answer questions and talk about this whole experience. And so then when I climbed Everest and I got to the top, it wasn't me. It was my entire community. It was like every little kid that was in there that had an Everest goal was like, this is what you do. This is how you do it. And the, my kids never felt so seen and so loved. I mean, it was an amazing experience. And it just goes to show like to climb your Everest, you need your community. It is so important in becoming resilient towards anything that you're trying to achieve. Well, whoever the the principal or the superintendent, whoever chose, I love that because they got to be a part of something that is, you know, it's not just now about Jen. It's way bigger. Now we have a whole school, a community. We're sharing in this journey. I think it's fantastic. Um, so that's one of the strategies. Why don't you give me at least one more? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, 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 yeah. So another one is that I talk about a lot is waving your flag. Okay. And it's so, when we think of mountaineers, we always see the pictures in our head of somebody waving their flag at the top. And it's awesome to wave your flag at the top. But if it was about waving your flag at the top, we would all take helicopters, stand out photos, put a flag, and then we'd fly to the next mountaintop. The reality is we celebrate those summits because it's all the times that we said yes, when we could have said no. It's all the times that we wanted to turn around and we didn't. So the mountaintop is symbolic of our resilience and our passion and our purpose and our pursuit. And I had like a couple instances where I didn't summit the first time. So for example, I didn't summit K2 the first time. My flag only got to camp three and then it came all the way back down and everybody knew. 
that I failed. And when I came back from K2, I mean, I when I came back from K2, my kids came home from camp a couple of days later and they're like, mom, mom, did you summit? I said, no, I didn't, but I had success. And they looked at me like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, we had a teammate that passed away in an avalanche and I decided it was more important to put people over peaks. So I forgave my summit chance and I climbed down to take care of my team. And it's very important to show up as good humans because who we are is more important than what we achieve. And yeah, I mean, I said that, I believe that wholeheartedly. I would do that situation that way entirely again. But there is still a tinge of, man, there's more money, there's more time, there's more all the things. I have to go back to this place. Like now I have a little bit of fear in me because I've seen it happen firsthand. But like I documented the whole journey. Everybody knew where I was or what was going on. And so essentially I was waving my flag one month before I went back to go to Pakistan to try again. I was notified of somebody that was a Pakistani female that was trying to summit her country's prized peak, and she didn't have the gear or the resources to make it happen. So I brought over stuff. I helped make that happen. On July 22 of 2022, I stood on top of K2 as the third American female to summit that mountain. And 30 minutes later, the first Pakistani Muslim female stood on top of K2 and showed the whole world what they're capable of. Mm. And I have twin daughters. So I know how important it is for my daughters to see people that look like them in spaces because it gives them permission to think more outside of the box for themselves. And so because I waved my flag and said, hey, I didn't make it. Hey, I need to go back. Hey, here's where I am. That's signifying to the world. Here's where I am. Here's what I need. Here's how I can help. And then it allows the universe to work in ways that you can't even fathom to help bring your vision and more to life. Yeah, it is funny or interesting how I don't know if we're Hollywoodized or we've watched these movies and it's like, oh, the perfect story is you go right up the mountain, you summit and boom, it's like the perfect movie. No, dude, that's not how life works. And if it did, if every time you're like, I'm going to go climb this mountain and you did it, no problem you probably get bored pretty quickly would be my guess. Like, why don't you just put an escalator on the mountain? We'll just go up and plant the flag, you know? And, and so it is interesting how we've almost become conditioned to think, well, you didn't do it. So it was a failure. No, I love what you said to your kids. Like I succeeded doing this and, and sharing in this, the fact, I think you said people are over, over peaks. peaks. Yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And one of the things that's interesting with the climbing community, I do know you guys never talk about, for the most part, the summit, unless, of course, you're asked, like, you know, how did it go? It's always about the journey. It's about the training. It's about the base camp. It's about like all the adversities you face. The summit comes so far at the end. And I, I think that's, that's life, right? It's like, Look, just because you see somebody succeeding in a business, there's a lot to get there. It wasn't just a escalator up the mountain. Um, there's something on here that I, I have to get to, and it's commit to the commitment. And that sounds so remedial, but at the same time, I think it's so profound because I talk about being interested versus committed. And one thing with you being a climber, like, look, you're you have to be committed because we are talking literally life or death. Every time you're going up these mountains, you can't just be interested in doing it. Otherwise, 
bad things are going to happen. So talk to me more about that. And, and I really want to get this. I, I, this is something I'm passionate about really committing to your commitment. Yeah. Right. So that's one of the seven strategies, right? Is commit to the commitment. And the reason why is because once you say I'm going to climb Everest done, like decision made, no more energy needs to be decided if you're going to do the thing. Now all the energy gets to be decided how. And for me, like, for example, when we were climbing this thing called the load safe face on Everest, it's a 4,000 foot vertical wall that feels like an endless treadmill um, and elements and all the different things. And it's a slog. Like it's normally everybody's least favorite part of the climb. And finally, like my team's together. I'm like, guys, we're doing this next section no matter what, because we're climbing Everest. So the decision has been made that we're doing this section. So now how do we have the most fun? How do we make this enjoyable? Because the decision's been made to do it. So now our energy gets to be creative and playful and joking. And so we took turns like singing songs or telling jokes or like leading the team through in different sections of the section. And if you ask anybody on my team what their favorite part of Everest was, it's the Lotse face. It's everybody else's least favorite section. And it was our favorite section. It's because we giggled, we laughed, we shared stories, we told each other like things that we're afraid of or that we like or embarrassing moments or it was just such a bonding time. And so when you set any goal in front of you and you commit to it, now you get to say, okay, I'm going to play this game. How do we play? What are the rules? What are the things that we get to do to make it more enjoyable? Well, that's it's such a good point in anything you're doing. I, you know, I talk about doing the dishes, like I throw on the dance music and have a good time. You have a choice in the matter. I absolutely love that. As you were talking, I, I was thinking, all right, what is next for Jen? What is she doing? What's exciting in her world? Because you've done some pretty cool stuff in a short period of time climbing wise. I mean, that's remarkable not to use such a pun, but the ascent is very dramatic that you did. So what do you, what do you got going on in the future? What's, what are you excited about? Yeah. So, you know, the book, right. The book's been a new mountain for me. That's been interesting because I thought it was just writing. Now it's marketing and talking and all those pieces. I'm most excited right now that in February, I'm taking my three oldest boys back to Africa to do a climb with them and then do some charity work while we're there. And I'm sure just like you, once you've climbed the mountain, it's exciting, but it's so much more exciting when you watch somebody else climb it, or you see them have the aha moments, or you see that progress click in them. So I'm so excited to take the boys and let them feel fear, let them feel the struggle and the setbacks and understand that they'll be able to overcome that and watch that progression happen in front of my eyes. You brought up the word fear, and obviously when you're K2 is, I think, the most dangerous mountain, if I'm not mistaken, in the world, climbing-wise. That, that, that's my understanding. Um, but anytime you're climbing these major mountains, fear has got to be a part of it. My question to you is, do you outwardly talk about it as a climbing community? Do you journal personally? How do you overcome? Because I think some of these tools that you're utilizing on that mountain are so applicable to everyday life. Yeah. Um, well, I always, you, I crowd out the fear. <laughs> okay. So for example, I have a big fear of heights, believe it or not. I have to like, 
exposure therapy out of me before I do anything massive. But when we were climbing Everest, you have the ice fall that you see the ladders, right? And it's not like you see someone sets the ladders down, they're bolted in, everything's safe. These ladders go over crevasses that shift three to six feet every single day. The sun is beating on the metal. So the metal's causing it to melt around the edges. So you stand on a ladder and it kind of like goes up in the air. And the, I mean, it's not OSHA approved, okay? Like by any means. <laughs> and so you're just, I mean, there's fear there. But there's also the metal rungs that you can click your feet into. And so you just go metal rung, metal rung, metal rung. And so I can focus on that, which is going to get me across this thing. Or I can focus on all the 999 other things going on that are going to make me feel yucky. And so when I'm crossing those ladders, like I literally am saying, isn't it fun to step on the ladder and push the metal? And I'm talking the entire time to myself so that a negative thought has no room to grab anywhere because if it grabs, then now all of a sudden you have to do this work to get it off and say like, never mind, I don't want this thought. It's not serving me. That takes energy. So if you just say, here's what I'm doing and then like keep talking about it or keep doing it, then those negative thoughts have nowhere to grasp onto you. They kind of like fall off and you get to the other side. So anytime I'm feeling, I mean, I do it every day. I have to, I run to train. I don't like running. I like how I feel after running, but I don't like going for the run. And so when I'm getting ready to run, my brain will be like, oh, I think we need another water. We should probably go to the bathroom again. You know what? Maybe you need another snack, right? Like that's what happens. So you'll sometimes like if my brain's being silly that day. I'll be like singing songs that I'm tying my shoe, tying my left shoe, tying my right shoe, going outside. We're going to start running. And then like once I start running, now I have more momentum. And if the bad thought comes, it can't snowball in because it doesn't stay at the same speed I'm doing. Well, it's actually a brilliant thing that you're doing because I you're playing, right? You're you are literally incorporate play into everything you do. It's a theme that I've heard throughout. And my one of the last things I want to ask you is if you're talking to people right now and they are playing small. Clearly that is not what your life has been about. You've played large, you're doing it. Now you're bringing your kids your three boys along, so they're going to go play big. If you're talking to somebody right now that's really plain small, they're not fulfilled on a daily basis, what what would be that one lasting piece of advice where you're like, what what would that be, Jen? Yeah, um, I'll go back to Everest. Like, you know, I didn't know anybody that climbed Everest before. When I decided I was going to climb Everest, I made it a point to find people that had climbed it before. And then I talked to them on a regular basis and normalized this pursuit that I was taking on. So if you're playing small, I need you to look at the circle that you're communicating with and spending time with and eventually just add one more person into a space of where you want to go or where you want to be or what you want to do. And then you're going to start absorbing their energy or absorbing their thought process or becoming a little bit more like them and your opportunities are going to get bigger. Yeah. And I, I'm guessing when you looked at that community, it's not the mother of seven from Park City, the blonde, like that's probably not the community you ran into. So now you're meeting really interesting people from all over the world. I'm guessing that's kind of the community you fell into, which I'm sure the amount of stories that have come from that, I mean, it's remarkable, the community that you've plugged yourself into. 
oh, it's so fun, right? Like if I lived in the community that I lived in before climbing Everest, of course, my parents are gonna be like, no, you're not. That is dumb. Do not climb Everest. They don't understand, right? So if I kept hearing that every single day, I would have not probably climbed Everest. So you need to change who you're around a little bit to be able to make what you're thinking possible. And then all of a sudden you get into climbing, which is just such a gift because actually as a US citizen, we're probably less of a population that climbs in other places in the world. And you just learn so many different ways to do things, like so many different ways to celebrate meals or to celebrate summits or to like what holidays they participate in and why and what traditions they have and why. And it's, I mean, it just changes everything. It's such a gift. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Congratulations on the book. I'm excited to to read it. Great job not quitting. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, um, where can people connect with you online? Find your book. What, what's the best place for people to really connect with you? Yeah, please. So jendrummond.com, and that's two N's, is home base. So you'll have a link to Amazon to buy the book. You'll have a link to all the different social channels that I'm on, depending what one is your favorite. And please reach out. I love connecting with people. Well, and you're a great person to connect with. Like I said, I knew this was going to be great. I could ask you questions for days, but I'll let you get back to it. Thank you for sharing, just uh, showing up and playing full out. It's it's really remarkable when you see it in other people. And, and clearly, that's the way you're going about life. Thank you. Thank you. You guys, go check it out. Go grab the book, Quit Proof, Seven Strategies to Build Resilience and Achieve Your Life Goals. Who doesn't want to achieve life goals? Who doesn't want to play big? Go check it out. Jen is awesome. Share this with someone that you're like, you know what? You're not taking care of yourself. You're not living your life all the way. You're playing small. This was a perfect episode to really push somebody to say, you know what? You aren't. Whatever your story was right now, you can change it right now. That is your choice. And Jen is such a great example of that. Until next time, you guys, remember your mindset matters. Thank you so much. Appreciate y'all. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. That helps us build this community, and that is what we are all about. Building this community as big as we can, helping as many people as we can, and deliver as much value as possible. Be sure to head over to letsgowinpodcast.com for information on my coaching courses, and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Let's Go Win 365. Let's go win and transcend in life. This is the Let's Go Win Podcast with your host, J.M. Ryerson.